and the, and the videos. If you've been here for the whole series, you've got to see him answer different questions. You almost feel like you know him a little bit. And, but I, I love that, how the representative of people that we, we know or that we come across in different ways. And, and I also love today. I, today is a celebration day. Today is Jesus is risen, right? He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. So it's the saying. And I love it, especially in context of what we've gone through this last week. I don't know, some of you have, have joined us as, our, as we've gone through this midweek journey, um, as we've gone through Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, kind of leading up to today. How many of you guys went to one of those services, just by the way? Quite a few of you, okay? So as you've gone through that, that Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, what's interesting is the thing that cannot escape you is that Jesus died because of us, Right? The tie to our sin and what he went through is so palatable. And as you go through every hit and every bruise and every mocking and everything that he went through, the betrayals, the denials, it can almost feel like a weight is kind of levied on you, a burden, just knowing what Jesus went through for you. And then he dies, and you're left. And remember, we kind of take, took everything off the altar, and there's an emptiness that pervades. And yet on Easter, when the ladies went to the tomb, he wasn't there. They were feeling the same burden, probably worse than we can imagine. And they wanted to finish kind of preparing him for burial, right? So they went to anoint him with different spices and stuff like that because they couldn't on the Sabbath. And they went with this burden, with this heaviness, and he wasn't there. And it freaked them out, and it scared them, and it, it entered in a little bit of hope. What do you mean he's not there? He's risen. And it's changed everything. Even today we celebrate this as the focal point of history. We do. Why is this the greatest event that's ever happened in the history of the world? Well, number one, it separated A.D. and B.C. Remember that from history class? Now we do it C.C.E. and B.C.E. or whatever it is. But do you realize that every time you write a check, right, every time you write down a date, you're referring to Jesus Christ. We're talking about A.D. and B.C., 2016 years from what? From the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It changed history. Again, I'll ask you, why is this such a big deal? Statistics, statisticians say that even today, in, in, in this world that we live in today, over a billion people will worship their Savior in the next 24 hours, will, will celebrate this resurrection as something significant in their lives. Why? Why does that still happen 2,016 years later? And it's because the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved that he was who he said he was. Why is that so significant? Because Jesus said some pretty outrageous, pretty amazing things when he was on earth. He said stuff like this, I am God. I am God. Jesus never claimed to be a great teacher, not once in all of scripture, but he did say this, I am the savior of the world. I am the Messiah. I am the only way to heaven. Incredible challenges, incredible claims. He says, I'm God and I came to earth in human form so that I could show you what God was like. And then he says, I'm going to prove it. They're going to kill me, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And the reason we celebrate Easter is because he did what he said he was going to do, because he is risen, and that changed everything. George Gallup also did a recent study and says that 84% of Americans today, apparently not all those on the screen, but 84% of Americans accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they believe it as a historical fact. In fact, it's interesting, every one of them had some experience, didn't they? with the church, with Jesus at some level. Obviously, it divided history between A.D. and B.C. because of this event. It was common knowledge. A lot of people saw it. But maybe you're just still asking, but what difference? In many ways, like some of the people that were interviewed, what difference does Jesus Christ make in Arizona 
Phoenix, Arizona in 2016, what difference does Jesus still make in my life today? Because I think there's a lot of confusion. You saw those at the people being interviewed. They just didn't quite get why we call it good news. Why we celebrate this day is something significant. And it's because when Jesus came, he came to bring us freedom. And you start asking, well, freedom from what? Freedom from three of the most important, greatest problems that you have in your life. Three of the things that you struggle on a constant basis with, day after day after day, he came to give you freedom from those. And sometimes I don't think he, we think it's that applicable, but it changes things. And if you let it, it changes our life. What are those things? Let's take a look. One of the first things he came to free us from, obviously, was guilt from our past, right? And you start asking, I've heard this before. Why is this such a big deal? And so I, I brought in an outside source. I brought in uh, all the study in, in psychology and, and all this work that they've done, the countless numbers of studies. And they say that guilt still today in this, in this culture of ours is still the number one reason, number one destroyer of happiness in people's lives. How many of you guys want to be happy? I want to be happy. Number one destroyer is guilt, rehearsing the past, going over things that we've done wrong. It's also the number one cause of stress in our world today. We hate stress. The studies go on to, to bear it's more than just stress, though. Stress is the number one indicator of, of physical ailments and physical illness. And lastly, it's the number one cause of depression still today in our world. And the reality is that all of us feel guilty at times. We all do. We all struggle with things that we've said, things that we've done. We all have regrets because nobody's perfect. I'm not. You're not. We've all said things we wish we hadn't said, done things we wish we hadn't have done. So we feel guilty. But here's the good news. Because Jesus came, it says that God wants to wipe our slate clean. He wants to give you a second chance. He wants to give you a do-over. Remember when you were a kid and you were playing kickball and and I don't know, somebody did something or whatever, and, and it was out, or it was a bad kick, and, and you felt bad, but somebody's called, do over! And you're like, sweet, I get another chance. I don't have to be the goat. I can, I can have another swing at this thing. I'm so excited that somebody said that. Half the time it was me, but whatever. You know, how, you, know you just kind of said that. But no matter what we've done in life, God says, if you hold to my son Jesus, I want to give you a do-over. And it doesn't take away some of the consequences of your past, but it takes away the guilt it makes you right between you and God, and it gives you a way forward to something better. It changes everything when he comes to bring us freedom. So what Christ did on the cross means that you can live a life that's sort of guilt-free. I say sort of because there is an appropriate amount of guilt that you should feel. You should feel it for about 15 seconds. Okay, and that is the time between what you did that was wrong and confessing it to God. I'm guessing sometimes it's longer, but... The appropriate amount of guilt is between when you did something wrong and when you confess it to God. But once you bring it before your Lord, God says you're forgiven. That's what my son died for. And you can no longer feel bad about it because he has forgiven you completely. I, I'll talk to people, though. It's funny. And they'll, they'll, they'll think it's almost holy to keep beating themselves up for something in the past. We call it uh, Lutheran guilt in it, or Catholic guilt or Baptist guilt. depends on where you grew up, right? But the reality is it's not holy nor right nor good to keep on holding on to something after Jesus has forgiven it. Now imagine living a life without that guilt, being free from it. There'd be less chance for depression, less chance for stress, and more chance for happiness to change your life. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, by the death of Christ, we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. In other words, God wants to set you free from feeling guilty anymore. And even if there was no such thing as heaven, I, I promise you there is, but, but even if there was no such thing of heaven, It'd be worth becoming a follower of Jesus Christ just to have this mental state 
this healthiness and walking through life without keeping this, necessita- this necessitating, this, this continual beating ourselves up for our past. Again, in Colossians 3.14, Paul writes, He has canceled every record of the debt we owed. I love that. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. And he canceled every record of the debt that we owed. Kind of like the IRS can't find anything, right? You know, it's, it's canceled, it's, it's erased, it's, somebody broke the hard drive, it's all gone, that's what Jesus does. Kind of like writing a, a canceled check. After you cancel a check, do you think about it anymore? Not after it goes into your bank account and you go, man, you know, that cost me or whatever. You don't think about it anymore. After you write a, a check and pay a bill, do you worry about it anymore? No, after the bill's been paid, you forget about it. And so it says that God has forgotten your sin. He has forgiven and he chooses to forget. And so I don't have to keep beating myself up anymore over things that I regret in the past, rehearsing a memory over and over. I can quit nailing myself to the cross about things that I feel bad about because Jesus Christ nailed himself to the cross for us. And guys, we know if you went through that, Palm, or that Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, we know that it wasn't free. But we know it was done for us out of love. And when he rose, it means that we don't have to be sad about Good Friday anymore. It means that we can celebrate Easter because he is no longer dead but alive. And he sits at the right hand of God and it's changed everything. How many of you, when you were kids, uh, just as a way of kind of building this, um, had an Etch-A-Sketch board? Or today I had magna doodles. And I use this example quite a bit, but, uh, but I loved it. And I, I watch commercials and they draw these amazing things and I'm convinced that wasn't really done with an Etch-A-Sketch board because it was just too hard to retrace and try to make everything perfect. It didn't, invariably you'd make mistakes and what did you do? You turned it over, shook it up, and when it came back it was completely clean again. And you could begin again and you could have a fresh start again. Because when you sin, that's what God wants to do with your life. He doesn't want you to keep rehearsing it over and over. He wants you to change things for the future. He wants you to turn from the sin or to reconcile the relationship or, or build past some of these destructive habits. But he doesn't want you beating yourself up anymore for the past. He says, I want to give you a clear conscience, and that's good news. There's an there's a Etch-A-Sketch verse of the Bible, if you will, kind of building on that, and it's this. There is no, now no condemnation, none, but those awaiting those who belong to Jesus Christ. In other words, because of Jesus, there is now no condemnation that we face before God. So regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, I want you to know this morning that you matter to God, that there is no sin that can outsend the grace of God, that he loves you, that he forgives you, that he wants to set you free from guilt in your life, from the regrets that you feel bad about. He wants to give you a second chance, a do-over at life. And it's never too late to start over. I was reminding me of a, a story I came across the other day about a lady whose husband died. And, and as a widow, she put this on the tombstone. The light of my life has gone out. You, kinda, you can imagine that and the sorrow and the grief of losing someone that you care for. So they'd been married a long time. About two years later, she met another guy and got married. And she went back and changed the tombstone so that it read, I've struck a new match. Now, sometimes you hear that and you think, oh, that's not appropriate. But, but okay, but put your... Put yourself in the mind of the widow. For a year and a half or whatever, you've been grieving the loss of somebody that was your life, that was significant, that was important, that you missed desperately. You thought the rest of your life was going to be doomed to that same state. And yet, enter in this new guy for her, this new hope, this new beginning to live life anew, to live life differently. It's not dishonoring the past, but it's, it's getting excited about the future. Look, There's so many things that we've done wrong in the past. And we can rehearse them, but God says, let the past go 
and focus on this new thing that I'm going to do. God wants to set us free from guilt from the past, but he doesn't want to just stop there. He, he builds on that, and he says this too, that Christ wants to set you free from worry over the future as well. How many of you guys watch the news at all? Pretty uninformed bunch. Okay, good. But the reality is if you did, you would probably be worried about a great many things. America, to all accounts, is a, a nation of worriers. We worry about everything, bills, problems, health, career. We, we worry about our worries. Um, and one of the things that bothers me, it seems like lately, every time I turn on the news, they're telling me another food that I like is bad for me, which is not good for me because I'm married to a dietitian, and then she builds on that. And Now there's other things that I like that are not in my refrigerator, so it's sad. I, I was commiserating with my buddy the other day about this, and he was like, yeah, I just went to the doctor, and he told me I couldn't have any more red meat. And I said, oh, that's brutal. He goes, yeah, it's hard not being able to put ketchup on my meat anymore, you know? But you can't breathe because the air is bad. You can't drink the water because the water is bad. We're a pretty open and transparent church. But I'll tell you, even pastors worry too. They worry about what they're going to say on Sunday morning. They worry if God's going to use it powerfully or if they're going to get in the way. And yet if you look at the word worry in the dictionary, it's an interesting thing what you'll find. you find that it means a divided mind. And that's what worry is. It's ultimately a mental tug of war that goes back and forth, pulling you in different directions. Now, this is going to happen. Oh, no, no, maybe this will happen. Oh, no, this can't happen. Oh, no, maybe this will happen. And the greatest, most common worry that we all have are the what-ifs in life, aren't they? What if this happens? What if that happens? They're all just worries about the future, what the future may hold for us. And since we worry about the future and we don't know what's going to happen, and neither do I, we're always kind of looking for insider information. If we could just get this insider information, then we wouldn't have to worry so much about the future. Like if you told me the Detroit Tigers were going to win the World Series, I wouldn't worry when they went 15 games below 500, right? It would just change my whole season's outlook. But we don't have insider information, and yet it's strange, it's crazy, it's weird at all the things that people will try to try to find it. Tea leaves, palm reading, fortune cooking, psychic hotline. I was even watching uh, at old Hogan's Heroes. Anybody remember Hogan's Heroes? <laughs> Great show. But I got my daughter hooked on it. We have like all six seasons. It's crazy. But um, in, in, in one of the episodes, it shows that Colonel Clink, remember him, that he had a psychic and he believed um, uh, just immensely in this. Why? Because Hitler believed immensely in this and Goering and all those guys believed immensely in this. Um, and yet the, the comical thing, if you know history, is that it didn't work out all that well for them, even though they went to these things trying to find the future. But people pay all sorts of good money trying to find that stuff. But I'll just ask you, would you like to be free from worry? Peter says this. He says, God's Spirit has been at work in your heart through Jesus Christ, if you let him in. And he says this, may God grant you increasing freedom from anxiety and fear. But that's God's will for you, to, to have less fear and less anxiety in your life and I, I preach about this often, right? But trust, or, but peace comes from trust, and it comes from trusting Jesus in your life. And the more anxious you are, it just means that there's areas in your life that you're not giving to him, that you're not trusting that he's got it, that somehow he'll find a way through, and you're still trying to control the future. And yet the Bible says over and over, don't panic, pray. Jesus says, cast all your cares on me. And if we just get to a place where when we started worrying, we'd have this newsflash that says, oh, you know, if it's worth worrying about, maybe it's worth praying about. And I say that because worry has never solved a problem. Worry is useless. Worry cannot change your past. It cannot control your future. All worry ever does is it messes up your today. But prayer, God says, changes the world. And what's the secret of worry-free living then? In Philippians 4.13, Paul writes again, he says, I am ready for anything through the strength of Christ who lives in me. 
And so the secret of worry-free living, again, is just trusting your future to Christ. It's where you come and say, God, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds it. You do. So I'm not going to sweat it because your power is in me, and I can handle anything because I have Christ with me. I can handle anything through the power of Christ. And you know what's interesting about that power? The same power that raised Christ from the dead 2,000 plus years ago is the same power that's available to us today. It hasn't changed. It's a power to rise us above our problems. It's a power to give us a new perspective, a new, a greater peace, a different way of looking at life. I've said many times, there's 365 fear knots in the Bible, and there's a reason for that, because we get frightened, and we get afraid, and we get worried, and we get stressed about so many things, and over and over in Scripture, you see God says, fear not, or don't be afraid. He would come to us and say the same things. In the midst of your worry, your stress, he'd say, do not be afraid. God says, get the message. I don't want you to worry anymore. I can handle it if you'll just trust me. And that's the million dollar word. Will you trust him? But he says, I'm here. And then he builds on that in more. And I'll give you this last one. This one's going to seem a little different. But Jesus can set me free from having to earn my way to heaven. And this is a lot more prevalent, this this confusion uh, with people than you think. In Colossians 2.20, it says, Christ has set you free from following the world's idea of how to be saved by doing good and obeying various rules. In other words, he's just saying that that's the world's idea. If I were to go down to the corner like Mike and James did when they were doing that video, and I was going to take a personal survey of people on the street, and I would ask them this question, are you going to heaven? 99% of the people would say, I sure hope so, in one way or the other. And if I were to follow up that question by saying this, or asking this, on what do you base that hope? 99% of them would say, well, I try to be good. How they define good would vary in different ways. But whatever it is, God would say to them, that's the wrong answer. And yet it's the same answer I get when I was doing confirmation. I would say, hey, do you know what the whole Bible is about? What's the, what's the whole, if you were to summarize the Bible in just a few words, what is that? And invariably the kids in that first class would say, it's a book on how to live the right way. And I'd say, no, it's a book on how to get to heaven. And it's not to what you do. It's to who you trust. Again, Jesus changes everything. And yet we have this misconception that if we're just good enough or we're just better than maybe our neighbor, if we're just a little bit better than the average, that God will look at that and kind of grade on a curve somehow and say, okay, you're good. And so I want to teach on that just real quickly. I want to give you a summary of the entire Bible in just a few sentences. Cliff notes on the Bible. But here's what the Bible says about your future. And I would suggest you trust this rather than Hollywood or, or somebody else. One of the first things it says is that heaven is a perfect place, absolutely perfect. There's no sin in heaven, there's no crime in heaven, there's no bad motives in heaven, there's no disease, no mistakes. Heaven is a perfect place, and it sounds just awesome. But the second thing that it says is that you have to be perfect to go there. It kind of freaks us out immediately because we said, well, I'm not good enough then, and you know what, neither am I. And that's why God had to invent plan B, hence Easter. See, heaven's a perfect place, and if God let you in being imperfect, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. And so again, God invented plan B. And the Bible then goes on to say there's two ways to heaven. There's plan A, which is to be perfect. That's what Jesus was. From the day he was born, he never sinned. He'd never do anything wrong. You would never, you always do the right thing. You would always be perfect. And if you lived the perfect life, and you died, and you went before God, and he'd say, why should I let you into this place? You would say, because I was perfect. I never did anything wrong. He'd say, okay, I'll let you in. 
But it's not very likely. In fact, the likelihood of that would be like getting into the Hall of Fame. If the standard for the Hall of Fame was to bat 1,000 and never make an error in your 25-year career. Realize it's not just 25 years that we play at life either, is it? It's 50 years, it's 75 years, sometimes it's 95 years. In other words, there's not a chance of being that perfect. So God came up with a plan B, and he came to earth in human form to show what the perfect life looked like, and we call that person Jesus. And plan B is getting into heaven on God's ticket by trusting in Christ, the only person who was perfect enough to give us that ticket, the only person that won the right for us to give us a ticket to heaven. In other words, the Bible says that you don't earn a right to go into heaven. It's a gift, and only Jesus won that gift and is able to give that gift away. If a person could earn that gift by being good, then it wouldn't be free, but it is. And you get it by trusting in Jesus. And the verse before says you're not saved by obeying various rules. So you don't get into heaven by keeping rules and by keeping regulations and by, you don't get into heaven by ritual or by religion. Not once in all of Scripture does it says, says say that religion saves you. And so you don't get into heaven by being just good enough. I mean, you may be Catholic or Protestant like some of those guys. You may be Jewish, Buddhist, Baptist. It really doesn't matter. Religion is simply man's attempt to get to God. And God says it's not rules and all that kind of stuff. It's a relationship with my son, Jesus Christ. And it's a gift, a gift that he gives. And so one day you're going to stand before God, and God's going to say, hey, why should I let you into this place? And you're going to say, because I trusted in your son, Jesus, who died but then rose again. And he said, I could come in because of him. Not because of me, but because of what Jesus did. The Bible says it this way. It says, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the fact is we don't like talking about it much, but the reality is that we're all going to die someday. And it seems to me if you know something's going to inevitably happen, you should pay attention to it. It's crazy to me. It's foolish to me that people would live their whole lives not dealing with, not preparing for something they absolutely know is going to happen in their life. And I would say to you, and it's not just me, but a lot of other really wise people say, you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. Unless you have something worth dying for, then you don't really have anything worth living for. Don't you marvel at those people that you hear in the news that are Christians that are getting shot for their faith? And they're only getting shot because they refused to recant, right? They refused to say, I don't believe in Jesus. It's crazy. But they have something worth dying for, and it's a relationship with Jesus. And it's more than that. It's heaven. It's eternity with God in heaven. It says the free gift of God is eternal life. So how can we be certain of things that are going to happen after we die? Answer, receive the gift that Jesus gives, because he's the gift. The obvious question this morning, then, is have you received that gift? You know, a lot of people come on Easter morning for a lot of different reasons. Some people come out of habit or out of tradition. Some people come because it's a thing you do on Easter. You come once a year to give your tip of the hat to God. Some of you come because a friend invited you, or some saw the banner or some ad and were intrigued. But regardless of why you think you came here today, you're not here by accident. God wanted you here this morning so that he could get you to slow your life down just enough to say that you matter to me, that I care about what's happening in your life right now. And I don't want you just to exist anymore. I want you to make the rest of your life the best of your life. The Bible says everybody comes alive in Christ. And it's in that relationship that you get to experience through Jesus that freedom that he talks about today the freedom to leave your past behind, 
the freedom that comes through trusting him to be at peace with your future, the peace of knowing it's through Christ and not through you that you're saved. And it's in this relationship with Jesus that you get that better and more free life. You don't get it through religion. You don't get it through coming to church just a few times a year. You get it through a relationship with God. Jesus said this. He says, I came so that you can have real and eternal life, a better life than you ever dreamed of. And that's why he came. And so instead of feeling empty and enslaved and overburdened, which is a description of way too many people I know, Jesus says, I, I want you to be free. And that's what Easter's all about. It's not about Easter eggs and Easter baskets, though I'm sure we have some of those on site today. But it's about God's love and his forgiveness. It's about the do-over he gives us through Jesus Christ. It's about a better life. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for him rising again for not staying in the tomb, but having it be empty. We, we thank you for showing victory over Satan and over hell and over this world and over everything. We thank you that we don't have to mourn today because you're still on the cross or still in the tomb, but that we can rejoice that you are a God of power that not only forgives, but makes permanent our entrance into eternal life with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that today. And all God's people said... Amen.